Welcome back to the Toolkit Depot studio. It's uh, it's starting to get a bit wintry in Perth, and looking out the window uh, here at Optus Stadium, it is a bit wintry this morning. But uh, if you want to have your say about anything that happened over the Anzac Day round, you can on the Temperate Bedshed text line, 0487 736 736. And the first bloke up on the show today is a bloke that loves to talk about Anzac Day, my old mate from the West Australian and the Duff and Quarters podcast, Glenn Quartermain. Quarters, how are you going? Duff, how are you? Good morning on this very Melbourne-like morning. It is a bit Melbourne-like, although... You think it's Melbourne until you get to Melbourne, and then you realise Melbourne's about ten degrees colder. So, oh yeah, I've I've been on a minus twenty degrees glacier in Switzerland, and I was still not as cold as I was when I uh, used to get off at five a.m. at Spencer Street. I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Quarters the Anzac Day round has been played. Uh, the highlight, of course, was yesterday at the MCG when Collingwood came from twenty eight points down to beat. Essendon by 13 points. Now, I know as, a, as an old Hawthorne man with that rivalry between yourself and the Bombers in the 80s, there would have been a quiet smile on your face as that was happening. But it was a great day, a great crowd and a great occasion. What did you make of it? A bit torn there, Duff, because, you know, I'm not a huge Collingwood man either. So, no, that's uh, true. <laughs> I'll give you that. It's a bit ambivalent, but... Oh, look, two things. I thought Essendon actually played really, really well. Um, gee, they've surprised me this year. Uh, played really well. And then it just turned, didn't it? Nick Dacos, like, as every week unfolds, um, it just becomes more and more um, stunning, opening to a career. Uh, just the crowd. Like I felt like we incrementally got better and better and better as the weekend got on in, in how we approached Anzac Day. But that's probably being unkind of free. I, I just thought they're... Their Len Hall tribute, as it always is, was just wonderful for every reason. But, um, you know, the Monday night, uh, Melbourne, Richmond, they do a great, just a fantastic job. And then yesterday, a record Anzac Day crowd, you know, second biggest ever home and away crowd. I would have loved to have been at that 1958 game, by the way. I think it was Melbourne, Collingwood. But just just the atmosphere, you know, three-quarter time. And you could just sense, just as, you know, 28 points down, I just thought this isn't over yet. Something's brewing here. And I think Collingwood's comebacks last year probably fueled them with a bit of optimism. And they got on a roll. And um, it would have been interesting had um, Sam Draper kicked that goal late um, to put them back in front. But what a, what a great comeback. What a great performance in front of the faithful. And, um, and again, how well do they do Anzac Day? You know, it, it's a round I love. It's probably my favourite round because of the tributes, because of the um, um, just 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 everything around the history side of it. I I still a little bit uncomfortable about the naming of the Anzac Day Medal. You know, I would rather it be named after a digger who played footy, something along those lines. But I just that that's not detracting from what they do. Wonderful game, wonderful performance, and geez, Collingwood's um, it just keeps rolling, doesn't it? It does. Tell me. How do you think Anzac Eve compares to Anzac Day now? Anzac Eve is getting very big between Melbourne and the Tigers, isn't it? And and that spectacle of when everyone, you know, turns their phone light on and um, um, and, and the horses are riding around the ground and just that eerie sort of atmosphere. Um, I think we, it's at, wonderful. Um, I reckon they're driving each other to, to an upwards lift. I think it's, it's getting better and better each year. Um, and it's the perfect balance sort of between entertainment and respect. I think they, they just get it really, really right. Um, 
oh, look, it's just hard to go past the 95,000, isn't it, really? I mean, it's just, it's just an incredible crowd. You've got to hand it to Melbourne crowds. They just do turn up. Um, but, I, again, I just think the, the, the Friday night Len Hall tribute, I, I just don't – it's not a – you know, it's not a poor cousin by any means. It's just, they do such a good job, Frio. So, and I really like the way they had the, the veterans lining up arm-in-arm um, arm with the players and the way the players responded to that. A uh, bit of a pity Frio couldn't follow it up on the field. Um, but, um, you know, I just thought that was really, really well done. It was a beautiful touch. And, you know, and, and all the way to the very final uh, performance, if you like, of the um, Anzac Day weekend, Darcy Moore's speech after the game, respectful, humble, you know, had a, had a sense of the occasion, um, great leader, um, at, you know, as, as painful as it to say, Duff, at a great football club. Yeah, it was a reminder that at the end of the day, it was just a game, wasn't it? And um, and, yeah. and he made that point and he put it in perfect context. I thought it was one of the great speeches by by a footballer. Yep. I thought Darcy Moore's speech after the game. Hey, um, Nick Dacos. So yep. um, our mate Glenn McFarlane interviewed Peter Dacos in the rooms after the game and he said, there is no comparison between me and him. He is way better than I was at this stage of my career. Now, they're strong words given that Dacos once kicked 97 goals in a season from a forward pocket. But I think he's right. I think this kid, is, has his first season and a bit, has been a season and a bit like no other I have seen, and that includes blokes like Chris Judd. Yeah, that's fair. I think the important point of it, part of it, is at this stage of his career, because uh, I saw a fair bit of Peter Dacos, and uh, he's still going to take a hell of a lot of catching, I can tell you. He was a... Oh, just a just, just ridiculously gifted footballer who could just do things that no one else could. So, you know, fair way to go. But, um, oh, look, at this stage, of course, and um, how do you stop him? I mean, it's, it, it, the teams are trying. Well, maybe they're not. You know, maybe they're conceding that he, I think as Ross Lyon used to say, um, or still says, um, you know, just do, do what's achievable. Don't try and tag a bloke out if it's, un, if it's impossible to do so. So but maybe he's in that realm. I don't know. I wouldn't mind seeing players put a bit more body on him, perhaps, or just make it a bit more difficult for him at times. Maybe that's just too hard to do because he's he just breaks. He's just got that time and space, doesn't he? And his decision making at a young age, just the decision making and the efficiency of his, his disposal. I mean, even that little inside out kick late in the game, he still had to get it right. So he just. Yeah, it's mind-blowing really how good he is. Um, he's going to be, a, as the year unfolds, as we get closer to the finals, um, I think there will be a huge focus on how, to, I guess, it's not just Nick Dacos, is it? It's the system. and um, But he's very fundamental to that system. So, you know, I kill the head and the body will die, I guess, the old sayings. It's going to be fascinating to see how really, really good coaches look to pick this apart and in particular focus on him because um, it's, it's not going to be easy. I think Essendon did a good job early of making sure that while he was getting a lot of touches, they were deep and in places where he couldn't yeah. really hurt them. But the thing is, is that he has such an overwhelming faith in himself that if there is a kick back into the corridor that can render three or four of the opposition players absolutely irrelevant in the press, he will take the kick and he will hit it. And because Collingwood teammates know he will take the kick and hit it, they will give him the ball anywhere. So yeah, they do. 
this. You have to be really careful how you try and defend him because if you start sagging to try and stop him from getting the ball, you're opening up holes everywhere else uh, in your press defence that enable the other good kicks they've got back there. And, and let's face it, still side bottom can drift back. He's oh. elite. John Noble's very good with the ball in hand. Braden Maynard's pretty good with the ball in hand. Even Darcy Moore's pretty good with the ball in hand. Of course, sometimes Scott Pendlebury's back there yeah. who's flat out elite as well. And Josh Dacos, who's flat out elite as well. So you've got to be so careful that you don't overcommit to Nick because you will just open up other holes and they will poke poke the ball through them with their other good kicks. So I think they're a, I think they're a great system, Collingwood, and I think they're the team to beat at this stage. Yeah, uh, I don't mind Melbourne still. I thought that was a good performance and great to see Van Royen lift in that final term when he had a pretty quiet three quarters. Uh, about to be dragged, actually, according to the coach. But i um, glad he didn't because uh, that was some final quarter. Uh, what I really liked about Dacos was his, um, his uh, comments afterwards. Re, you know, I kicked that goal, that early goal, and I wanted to get up and about, but I thought, hang on, we've still got a job to do here. So, you know, for, for such a young player, uh, he's got a very seasoned head on his shoulders. And you're right, they, they probably are the team to beat. Um, long way to go. And, you know, we know what, what attrition rates with injuries, et cetera, can do. And they've had their, they've had their share this year. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a compelling style that Collingwood plays with. It's fantastic, isn't it? Now... From the fantastic to the not-so-fantastic, let's talk about our two WA teams. West Coast injuries. Now, how long can we continue to say this is just bad luck? This is now two years of epic injury epidemics running through the club, and a lot of these are contact injuries, but some of them aren't now, and some of the soft tissue injuries are happening to young players. Do you think there's an element of mismanagement here? And do you think even if there's not mismanagement of individuals, is there an element of list mismanagement where they've left themselves vulnerable with too many broken athletes? Well, they've cho- they changed their, some of their staffing over the post-season, so they have made moves. But I think they need to look at it again, clearly. Uh, there are a lot of collision injuries in there, as you said. So they just had no luck. But, um, you know, there are, you know, uh, a hell of a lot of soft tissues as well. Probably more on their veteran players, but still... Um, yeah, you know, they're, they're, it's, it's, they're concerning statistics. So where they go from here, they've got to review it again, I think. And uh, because you just can't have a situation where not only are you struggling, well, not only struggling to get an, a waffle team out there, but you, some weeks you're struggling to get an AFL team out there. So I don't know. I mean, there are there are other teams there, and they're not in this situation. So do we do we look at you know shoring up numbers through? Um, some uh, concessions from the AFL, or do we just go to the mid-season draft? And they're going to have to put a long player on a long-term injury list there. But I don't know what the answer is. But they, they really do have to look at it again. Um, they, they say there's nothing wrong with the left lane park surface, so there's a we can rule that out. Um, but something's not right, and um, you know they've got to get their what's close to their best team on the park to give themselves any chances. They sort of work their way through this, what's going to be a pretty long rebuild. I just wonder whether they need to make some hard calls on their older players' quarters and and, and, yep. and get more durability onto their list. And, you know, maybe it's not the way they're managing it. Maybe these guys are just broken. And, yeah. um, and it happens, doesn't it? Like, the game is really tough yep. to play now. It, it may be that 
Nick Natanui is never going to be right again, that Jeremy McGovern's never going to be right again, that Luke Shuey's never going to be right again, and even Elliot Yo may never be right yep. again. Uh, and we know that Shannon Hearn will almost certainly be going at the end of the year. He's already being managed now. So maybe it's just a case of need more durable athletes on their list. Well, Hearn, yeah, Hearn will no doubt go at the end of the year. Um, the governor's signed another two-year deal. Um, I think Shuey will make, he'll be allowed to make his own call. But knowing the sort of character he is, he'll make the right call. Um, I think uh, Nick Nat Achilles, the way he plays, it's, it's, it's probably the worst injury he can have. Um, so there are some big decisions to make. And, yeah, the, the, obviously... You look at it two ways. You look at the Hawthorne model, and uh, if you want to go through some serious pain, then you do the Hawthorne model, and it's just clear all your all your experience out. You've got to have some in there, I think. So you've got to retain some, um, and I think probably someone like McGovern's probably pretty important to their defensive structure. Obviously, he's out long term at the moment, but um, yeah, I think you're right. They're going to have to make some pretty. Um, um, gutsy calls on some of the older players who've been great servants, but they're dog year stuff. You can't play at that level for long periods of time. There comes a point where you're no longer able to do these things. So um, I guess there's going to have to be some people looking in the mirror and realising whether they're up to it or not still. What ails Fremantle? Ball movement. Um, maybe... Maybe our expectations were too high. I always thought they would maybe take a little step back to take um, some more steps forward. So I, I picked them to finish fifth. I certainly thought that would be they'd play finals. And look, they're still not out of that race by any means to play finals. But geez, there's going to be some significant improvement from here. I think it's ball movement. It just seems to be to me they look like a team that's just lacking confidence, and that might that might also be coming from the coaching staff. You know, because it's it's inevitable that that happens when you things just aren't working for you. I think you got to maybe you got to look at your uh, try and look at the glass half full. I guess um, you've obviously got to address how you're moving the ball. There's, clearly, there's a problem with um, ground ball and um, getting the, the big bodies, getting those big bodies in there. <clears throat> Mundy was who was aging and, and was. Never super quick, but uh, obviously losing legs the latter part of his career. Uh, we thought that was the right call. Um, they're missing him in there. I reckon they're missing Acres. I reckon they're, they're missing a few players that they traded out at the end of last year. I think they're missing Rory Lobb. I think they're missing that extra tall who can take a contested mark in the forward line. But they're gone, so there's no point dwelling on that. You've got to go with what you've got. I think they need to bed time into Amos, which they've been doing. Um, I'd almost look at, it's a bit radical, but I'd almost look at, I mean, one of the best ruckmen in the comp, Sean Darcy, but they they look the most dangerous with the he's in attack. So I'd almost look at playing him down there more and maybe giving Luke Jackson more of a run in the ruck just to, to, to keep building that tank and to give him more, just get him in the play more. I don't know, you've got to try things. Just just don't be afraid to mix things up and try radical things because um, it's not working at the moment. And uh, it doesn't take much, mind you, to get a couple of good wins um, or even a really good performance on the road against Brisbane this, this week. It's going to be pretty tough to win it. But even if it's a, it's, they, can keep, they can keep them close on the scoreboard, I think it would be a win. So I think they've got a lot of problems at the moment. But as, in, as you know, in footy, Duff, it doesn't take much to turn it around. Yeah, I think they're done, mate. 
I, I think they're done yeah. this year, and um, yep. um, and I think that maybe that doesn't mean that they're doomed. I, I'm a bit like you. I thought they'd plateau, but um, um, I think there's too much to fix. And I do agree. The four holes left by Mundy, Logue, Lob, and Acres are bigger holes than we thought. Um, yeah. And probably their lack of depth in attack is probably emphasised by the fact that Rory Lobb was their primary target, and he's the Western Bulldogs' third target. Um, yeah. You know, after Norton and Eugle Hagen. That probably tells you where Frio's forward line stocks are. And if they don't think they're missing Griffin Logue yet, they will this weekend because he would have played on Charlie Cameron this weekend. Yeah, he's but, home well, isn't he? So, um, did, he, did, he did he mean it? Did he mean what? Charlie with his, uh, with his goal of the year. Uh, oh, those guys, sometimes they only half mean it and they're not even thinking about it, but they still do it. Quarters. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I, reckon he, I reckon he meant every bit of it. He's a freak. Yeah, no, they are. The, the things happen very quickly out there, and, and they are better on instinct than we are. So I t- we, we tend to look at it the way we would have approached it, but uh, but I think they're a bit better than us. Hey, um, I, do, do either of them win this weekend, either of West Coast and Fremantle? Oh, jeez. Oh, um, no, no, in a nutshell. I, don't, I think it's too big a call. Not many teams go up for the Gabba and win. And Brisbane have found confidence. Um, and West Coast v Carlton. Yeah, you know, Carlton have been disappointing. So stranger things have happened. But then again, West Coast probably got them at a bad time. There's a bit of cackle about them. So um, and you know, they're not a bad side, Carlton. Um, I, I think it's no is the answer. No, no, I won't be picking either of them. Glenn Quartermain, always a pleasure to talk to you, mate. Good luck with everything, and uh, thanks for joining us on the show today. What do you think of anything Quarters has had to say? You can let us know on the Temperate Bedshed text line, 0487 736 736. We'll be back after the break.